Welcome to the Not For Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams, your host, and today we are talking to Pastor Paul Geeling. Pastor Geeling is the Senior Pastor at IC Church in Brisbane, with campuses located throughout Brisbane and around Australia, and also in India, and growing continually. Today we're talking to Pastor Paul about the three things starting up an NFP and what he th- sees as the biggest three things to get through that process. The first one is to seek the right advice. We talked to Pastor Paul about this. What that means in regarding to NFPs is getting advice from the right accountants, solicitors, etc., making sure you get the right advice from the right people. The second thing we cover off is not taking shortcuts. This means doing things by the book. It just allows it to be done better at the end as you go through and the not-for-profit grows, it allows you to not have to go back and change things. So if you do everything, don't take shortcuts, do everything right up the front, it's better for the not-for-profit moving forward. And the third and final thing we cover off with Paul is surrounding yourself with people who have greater strengths than you. And that's a great advice from Paul because it's not everything we do, we can be good at everything. So surrounding yourself with people who have the strengths where you might might not have a strength will ensure the NFP gets through the times that it needs that and that allows everyone to do their job properly. Without further ado, let's get started. The Not For Profit Podcast is brought to you by Platinum Audits for all your auditing needs. If you need any audits done or you need any information, please contact Platinum Audits. Welcome, Mr. Paul Geeling. How are you? Good to hear you, Matt. Good to see you too, sir. Can you just give us a little bit of background on you know, what, what got you in the, in the non-for-profit sector and what led you to where you are today? Yeah, when I finished uh, high school, I was a bit lost for what to do, whether join the, looking to join the Air Force, and I finally got into science at Monash, and I wasn't really excited about that, Monash University. Oh, I just was a bit, a bit um, how can I say, um, wasn't sure about my lifelong career. So I, I thought I'd do a gap year and do Bible college. I've always been involved in church and community sector. And when I was in Bible college, I really felt people area was probably more um, came naturally to me. And then I did two years of Bible college and just served like interning in a quite a large church in Adelaide. And then at the end of my college graduation, I enrolled to go to Flinders university and do an arts degree in politics and Asian studies. And, and a part-time job came up. My pastor came to look, um, Paul, there's a at the local high school, like literally half a couple of roads, looking for a chaplain. Would you consider going? And I didn't even know what a chaplain was, so that was probably my first sort of stepping into uh, the non-for-profit sort of community-based stuff. And so it was a back then. It was this is like ninety-two, ninety-two would have been a you know interchurch grouping of you know Lutheran church, the Catholic church, the Anglican church, United Church, um, Assemblies of God church, the Pentecostal church had this little uh, ministers fraternal. They raised money for a part-time wage for someone to be working as a Christian youth worker or chaplain in the school, which was a government high school. And uh, there was a group in South Australia that Tom called Schools Ministry Group, which sort of was the the overranging covering group. But that was my first sort of interaction with non-for-profit because that was I had to be part of the fundraising for that non-for-profit for that chaplain community. 
Wow. So you would have, between 92, 93 and now, you would have seen a lot of changes in the NFP sector and oh, yeah. across the board. Yeah. And then I suppose my other, I was, I was a chaplain for eight years, so I was involved in that. And then I was, um, I sort of, uh, when I came to Brisbane, worked at a large church in Brisbane, Garden City at the time. And, and we had a, uh, a youth uh, um, non-for-profit community care arm, which was helping young people and getting them back into school and re- reconciling with their families and getting jobs. And we had, I was involved with Youth Alive, which is a, uh, a national youth organisation that does a lot of stuff in schools, like bullying and uh, seminars and self-help seminars and you know, life choices and, and uh, really helping young people make good decisions and good decision processes. And so I've been involved all those years. Then I've been involved with other different community and charity community groups on different things around there. But there's the biggest change that I've seen, and it's been a good change, is the level of compliance and expectation that is needed. And I think it's just more that our society's got more complex, but there's a lot of great things about it, too, like the ACNC and all these things have been new initiatives but it's just mean that we've all had to become a lot more organised professional and seek professional advice. We're probably, when I think back to 1992 on that chaplaincy committee, there was, you know, um, this guy, Bruce, he was the volunteer treasurer and someone else did this and that. It really was, we really never sought professional advice. It was just, we were very much, the strength of us was a grassroots organisation doing grassroots activities and outreach and ministry and pastoral care to kids at a local high school. So that level is very strong, but there probably wasn't all the different things that we have to have on a compliance level today, which uh, which has uh, just added a lot more administration and organisation to it, I suppose. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because the ACNC only came in a couple of years ago or five years ago now. So um, have you seen from the ACNC that the level of compliance and the level of um, smaller organisations coming into line is better? Well, I de- look, the good thing about that is I think in my experience in the different groupings I've been involved with is it's, okay, we've got to really look at how we do our back-end structures, how we're functioning, how we're working to make sure, one, we're compliant, but two, we're actually having better financial administration, better occupational health and safety, better whatever it may be to make our organisation better. So in, in a sense, um, I don't think it's been anything to fear. It's just probably put a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on organizations to improve and that and look you know and all those things cost money so i think the challenge has been for smaller groupings is um, well how do i access that 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 skill or how do i how do i get that advice because you know and so i think what's what i think is naturally began to happen is groupings of ministry of maybe smaller things of uh, faith-based ministry or community oriented non-for-profits working together uh, or coming or conglomerating or coming under to to uh, um, not stop doing the function, the interface, what they're doing in community, but the back end of things, um, whether it's legal requirements or financial requirements or whatever it may be, working together. So it's very hard for a small organisation to pay a professional to do that. So I think that's what it's one thing we've been seeing is a lot of, say, smaller community uh, groups working together or a small church is coming under a covering of a a medium or large size church because it helps with the finances admin and the compliance levels that are there, the level of stuff that's needed these days. Um, and that's that's just, I've seen that's an evolution I've observed, Matt, in the last couple of years. Yeah, and same from my perspective from the audit, auditing side, we've seen that smaller churches and the campus-type 
you know, multiple campuses really expand over the last sort of three to five years. Do you see that as continuing down the track? So like you're going to see that it, a lot of smaller churches becoming less and less autonomous and just coming under the, uh, is it going to become more prevalent in the future? Well, I think it's different. Like in some of the church models whereby it's more a national model when the head office has administration and does all the pays and stuff. But in the church model that I'm a part of on a, a Pentecostal level or say Baptist Union whereby the churches have their own boards, the churches do their own payrolls and, and it's more a, a fellowship, a trip to grouping a church rather than a denomination. Yes, I do see that. Or uh, small churches will have a strategic alliance with a larger church or become a campus large church or outsource um, to certain finance groups, uh, maybe the running of their finances or whatever it may be. Um, I think there's a, there's not just one method, but I think most ch new churches are coming, the majority of them are coming through the campus model because a, a larger church has resources to do those things if they're looking for new campuses. It's not the only way, but there, it, it's definitely been happening a lot. And I think it's naturally happening um, uh, because of some of those pressures. Okay, cool. Just on that, new churches and coming out of campuses. What what's the one or two things, or yeah, two or three things that you see are the utmost things, important things to do when you're starting up a church? Like, so you're starting up a, a non-profit organisation from you know from the ground up. What's the, the the sort of three main areas you see that have to you know if you do it right, it sets you up for for, for the future. Uh, I think yeah, I think this is a really good thing, and and um, is 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 getting the take not being in a rush and taking the time to get the right advice because if you build if you have the right advice in the beginning and set the foundation correctly on a legal level on a financial level on a structure level uh you know you're building something on a good foundation and i've also been involved in helping a lot of churches and they come up to different challenges and part of it's been because when they started at the beginning they took shortcuts financially when i say nothing illegal but more um, they didn't really think through their plan of what they were to do. And, and I remember when we started our church, one of the things which, you know, quite often we, I, got, I really sought a lot of advice from pastors who had gone before me, from the legal sector, from the financial sector, saying, asking people uh, how I should set this up. Now, uh, the good thing today is there's a lot of um, different groupings out there in denominations, there's the ARC crew and all stuff that really have good checklists for that. Uh, I know our, our denomination at the time, Australian Christian Church had a, had a basic checklist, which was helpful, but I think I had to even go beyond. Um, and so I've many, many, I remember when I started the Bible College, and and um, which was another sort of non-profit in our grouping of uh, entities. And um, I remember talking to our lawyer, and that was an expensive conversation. Talking to lawyers is always an expensive conversation, but you know they said, look, if you if you set up this way long term, it's going to help you in the long term, but it's going to be more costly at the beginning. And, and, you know, we had that discussion on the board level, but, but I'm glad we went with the advice because I look now 14 years down the track and the, the long pathway, the more expensive pathway in setting up at the beginning uh, has been a really, really wise decision on that level where we could have gone a, a different route, which would have cost us less money, but then we would have had the 10 years down the track, change the entity again, do all the things, and it would have been more stress on the organisation and in the long term more finance so i think i think seeking advice talking to people and you know i think what church planners need to know or setting up a, a non-profit needs to know is you're not the first person that's ever done this and why make all the mistakes yourself when you can learn from others who have got some scars and been through some seasons and get some good advice off people and i think 
I think if I look back and speak to myself in a, in a younger age group, when I was saying things, I wish I'd even asked more advice of people. Um, amongst the, you know, there's wisdom amongst a multitude of counsellors, and I think that's really important. And, and it's not just I asked, I asked, I asked advice from pastors, but you know, um, I had training at Bible College to be a pastor, but running an organisation, a non-profit, is a lot more than that. It's there's so much I didn't know. You know, I remember um, actually talking to your father-in-law when I first took over Youth Alive because I really was quite experienced in reading um, P&Ls, and I remember going to it for a couple of weeks in a row, saying this account, saying I need you to teach me in this now. You know, um, I think uh, a business degree would have helped me a lot being a pastor too. <laughs> and I, that's something I found in my history is that, you know, being a part of this area is that you do now need to have that business acumen and, and know what you're looking at and know how to read about profit loss and a balance sheet, but also cash flow um, if, issues, things like that. If you could give some advice to new churches, new non-profits, um, what would it be in regard to cash flow? Is it like, is there a... Uh, one magic factor to set it up or not? No, I just think it's, it's building within your means and I think also, um, you know, um, having, uh, you know, when we're talking about, say, a church organisation, there's, there's a lot of faith and optimism involved in it. So it's got to be stewardship's a mixture of wisdom and faith. You know, you've got you to believe that things are going to grow, but you've got to also be wise. So I think it's uh, surrounding yourself also with a team. Like, you know, I'm not super strong. I'm not an accountant by background. But I'm, I've got a fair idea of what's happening in finance the church. But then I've also strengthened the weaknesses that I have with people that do have that strength in that, you know, that, that level. So that they're not they're giving me the right information to make the right decisions, and I will need the board to make the right decisions. And so I think all those things that I've you know, talked to you before about some of the things about starting a church. Obviously, you ask the right advice. Don't take shortcuts. But the third thing is surround yourself with some people that have different strengths than you have. So when you're starting a board, especially when you're starting a new church. You don't even know who's going to be in the church. So it might be some people from another church board or that will come and give, say, 18 months just to help you get off the ground. And once you've found some people in your own church, they can come off. So you've got that strength and that wisdom. Or it might be a retired businessman or that can help you. has got to be a top. So you, I think you've really got to think that through because, um, you know, finance is a big part of helping people. If we're doing a community-based or faith-based or non-profit that's working within the community, we want to, we want to, we want to see the goal happen. But, Structure, administration, faith, insurance, finance, or management—all these things are a part of that um, to, to get to that ultimate thing of delivering um, effective service or ministry on the ground. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Is there anything that you've done that hasn't worked that you wish you could go back and change or do differently or do again? Just for, to, to yeah, help I just, out there, like you know, just to come to terms with okay, you're not going to make the correct decision every single time. Well, I think well, I think um, you know you're always learning from your, your successes and your failures, and I think for us, um, I look at why I I planted the church originally um, 15 years ago. I wouldn't do the same way now. I've learned a lot more. So when we're starting a new campus now, we've got a lot more preparation and planning in place. Where I think I was a lot younger, I was just going, "Hey, let's get this thing happening," which is all exciting, all that, but. But as the organisation grows, um, you know, um, you've got to have more systems involved in that and the preparation involved in that. And I think um, I wish I'd actually talk to more people about what is a successful way to do things rather than just trial and error myself. I'm sort of that guy, well, I'll just get into it, let's make this thing happen, let's get started. But if I reckon I put a bit more prep in, I think we could have accelerated some things in that. Um, um, yeah, look, 
um, the pinpoint areas. I think we've made mistakes in all areas. Uh, the big thing is learning from your mistakes and, and trying to go forward. Um, uh, you know, um, yeah, as the organisation grows, it has different needs, you know, and I think um, uh, we've probably um, at different stages had to learn different lessons to grow to the next level. Yeah. And in that, do you set KPIs or how do you know you're hitting the mark of where you want to be at in that, in that growth? You know, you, the church has gone from, you know, one campus to two to three to multiple. Is there markers that you set? Now, how do you know you're being successful? How do you know you hit the target that you set? Well, there's, there's, cult, there's cultural things that are successful. They're harder to measure. But obviously, things like finance and attendance are other things that are easy to measure. And, and, and I do think finance uh, speaks a bit about the health of the church. Um, and then, uh, you know, so I think they're different measurements. You can't, um, you know, like, you know, if it, was a, if it was a business selling things, it would be customer satisfaction survey. And so I think, you know, we do, we do have, we have in our churching um, cultural goals um, that, that, that we can indicate are how we're healthy and, and things go for different seasons. There may be things happen in the city that affect the church. You know, um, we've got a campus in Townsville at the moment and Townsville's doing a challenging season at the moment which you feel is win the congregation because, uh, you know, the nickel refinery went down, they've been waiting to see if Adani's going to go through and uh, there's a whole lot of things there and I think if uh, the jobs and the business start flowing, you actually feel that in the town and feel that the church. And sometimes... They're not actually organisational things. They're environmental things of what's happening in the city or what's happening in the state or what's happening in the nation economically or culturally can also affect our organisations as well. So we've got to be not just focused, uh, you know, narrowly onto what we're trying to do but to understand what's going on around us as well, um, you know, um, in, 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 our, in the community that we're living in. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. That's because you're a community-based, not-for-profit. You have to really have that feeling for the community and what's happening in the in the community and work towards that because if they need more support, you have to go out and give that support. Yeah, and I think like a classic would be when we were doing Youth Alive is that, uh, and I'm, I've been out of Youth Alive eight or nine years now, so they've, they've gone to another chapter, another journey, another direction, and, and they're doing great. But when I was involved in that organisation, we had a couple of evolutions where we had to change. The mission stayed the same, but had to change the way we delivered it, if that makes sense, the vision. Yep. And, and I remember one time we came to this point going, okay, we, gotta, we, gotta, we were doing concerts and things for young people. We really came to this point, we've got to drop the prices because at the time, remember, it was around the GFC and, and um, families were doing it tough and our biggest clientele was teenagers and therefore um, we've got to somehow, if we're going to keep getting towards the vision of where we want to go and what's our mission for an organisation, we had to make some changes in the way we were doing uh, the model, the way we, not, not what we were, the goal of what we were delivering, but the, the way which we did it. And part of that was, for that thing, was um, entry prices to our big youth rallies, big youth concerts that we were doing because we were just finding that we'd had all these seasons of prosperity in the Australian economy and we hit some challenging times and we, we were feeling that. So we had to adapt with it to keep doing the mission of what we're doing but the method changed. Yeah. And you mentioned before boards and this sort of relates to that. Is that a board direction or is that a, uh, as a leader of a church, you said you rely on the board hundred percent, like, you know, for, for a lot of that, that strategic change and stuff like that. And how much reliance do you put on the board for that? And how much do they have to champion that? Well, I think it, I think it depends to where the organization is at. When our church was smaller, the board had a lot more macro um, involvement in the running of the finances of the church. 
as the church has grown, the exec team in the church really is running the, the micro levels of it and then the board itself is more on the oversight, the board parts of the budget, uh, you know, but there's certain levels. So I think when you're in a small organisation, the boards play much larger than a version, not just in the macro but in the micro, helping you do that. But then as your organisation grows, um, you know, um, and you get to, the organisation gets more complex, the budget gets more complex, you know, you've got to have systems and precedents in the system to keep it, on that level in the financial system and then you, that finance team would take things, they would get the board to approve the budget and then the budget sets them for the year but then anything outside out of that budget on a big level has to come back to the board. So, yeah, I think I think that's that's the evolution of an organisation or a non-for-profit on any level and that's probably the same with a business as well in a sense of um, at the beginning, um, everyone's on board and um, and then as you grow, you've got to specialise things and, um, and, and uh, our boards change over time as well where, they're more um, oversighting a church on a legal level, a property level, and a finance level. Um, and the vision's really coming from the exec team and eldership. So th- th- that really varies between the structure of churches. Um, yeah. And some churches would have uh, that on a really successful one on a board. The one person would be over certain things on the board right through there. So there's not one model that, fix, that works for every... There's, there's lots of models that all can be successful. Ah, cool. Um, what... What do you see as the major hurdle moving forward for not-for-profits and for churches, multi-campus? What's the biggest hurdle at the moment? I know we've gone through you know, the um, the Royal Commission just recently and that brought a lot of changes. Is there a big hurdle coming up? Or like, what do you, what do you see as the, in the coming months, years as the biggest hurdle for NFEs? Uh, look, I think the church, I can speak for my denomination or the ACC and other denominations, I think they've done very well adapting to those things. Um, and we've got to take the seriousness of, especially say, the Royal Commission and Child Protection and all those things that have been, you know, the Safer Churches conversation has really changed right across the board. It's a good thing for everybody that we have processes and plans in place and um, I think that's been great. But uh, I think it's more just refining those and, and continually to make um, our church communities welcome, but they've got to be safe places, they've got to be well-managed places. Same with occupation, health and safety, same with you know, financial management, we've got to keep growing and becoming best practice. And and the challenge is always that we're not a, we're also volunteer organisations. And so the majority of work quite often done in a non-for-profit or a church is uh, is volunteers. And so we've got to continually make it, um, making sure we're doing best practice, but making sure it's friendly for volunteers to be connected and it's not too complicated and we can, we can still function um, as a community organisation. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that. But I don't know what there might be other challenges in the future. I don't know, but I think I think the biggest ones have been the area of compliance for safer churches, for uh, for child protection, for finance, and for occupation health and safety and legals has, has been a big transformation. I just think that will continue that we have to um, um, work on that and the balance of making it practical to work within the community and also making sure we're fulfilling our legal obligations and our insurance obligations. That's the hard balance. If if there's one one thing that you would give, one piece of advice to give to somebody listening or watching today that, you know, is just the, you know, how to start up an NFP or, you know, are you getting in that growth stage? What's the one piece of advice? Like other obviously you covered off the um you, you covered off the, you know, getting advice, that sort of thing. It, would, would that be your biggest piece of advice? Just go out and get the advice you need? Yeah, and then I think having having connected mentors don't isolate yourself that continually are in a higher place. So one of the things that's been useful to us is we've had 
for our church, board members outside our church. So they're coming not emotionally attached to the things going on, but they're just good board members um, that, that are having church experience, but they don't actually, you know, so that's one strategy that we've done. But, but just having mentors and people to talk to and exposing yourself to new things and bigger things, um, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. And I do think, too, um, as churches, we're probably um, professionally for our pastors and our admin team and all this stuff, and sometimes not for us because we're always tighter money investing in training for people you know um, whether it's if you're doing bookkeeping investing into that investing into you know training um in the area of uh you know working with your children whatever it may be we need to continually i think make more of an investment there and then seek i think just seek just keep putting yourself in places where you can grow um to learn i know you know there's uh, master's courses people doing in leadership there's um uh, you know um on the job training, it doesn't have to always be formal. Like I remember when I first really got into a place uh, where I had to start running big budgets when I was youth alive, I didn't do any formal training. I just got some mentoring from some accountants to help me up, quickly upskill myself. I don't have to become an expert, but I need to have some level of um, basis knowledge to do that, you know. Um, I would say if you've got to decide to be a CEO or a senior pastor in the future, having some business and finance background an organisational management background is a great prerequisite as well as theology and pastoral training. Oh, awesome. Hey, mate, we're out of time. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the episode today and I really appreciate your time and uh, your advice. Is is there, if people want to get in contact with yourself or the church, do they, any any particular way to get in contact? Uh, they, can just get, they can just email info at icchurch.com or um or just call the church office. So I think it's a one three hundred number. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's definitely there. No worries, mate. Thank you very much for your time today, mate. Really appreciate it. God bless. Mm-hmm.